Good morning, it's great to be with you this Sunday. For those of you that don't know me, my name's Tammy and I'm one of the pastors here at Central Vineyard. We are currently on Sunday mornings taking a brief journey through the book of Ephesians. We are not covering it in its entirety, so I'd encourage you to be reading Ephesians in your own time and seeing how the Lord speaks to you personally in this season. Last week, Martin gave us a great introduction to what we've covered to date. And so good that I've shamelessly stolen his helpful words again um, for that overview. It's always helpful if you're tuning in for the first time just to have that. Ephesians is a book that can be looked at in two halves. Essentially, chapters one to three is about our identity, about how our identity is found in Jesus Christ. The second half is chapters four to six, and it's all about our behaviours and how those behaviours flow out of our identity in Jesus Christ. Ephesians is essentially a letter wrote by the Apostle Paul to the church he planted in Ephesus. He wrote the letter whilst he was imprisoned in Rome. Ephesus was an important city. It was a powerhouse of the Roman Empire. It was a city that worshipped the Greek god Artemis. He was considered to have complete power over the city. Chapters 1 to 3 cover the stories of the gospel. It was a reminder to the church that their identity was discovered in Jesus Christ, despite the many conflicting worldviews that they lived in. It's a reminder of the gospel truths of God's amazing grace that he chose to love each and every one of us, but also that he chose us in grace through Jesus's death on a cross. We are saved because of it. It's a reminder that salvation comes not from what we can do, but from what he has done for us. And through that same grace, we've been filled by the very spirit, the same Holy Spirit, that Jesus was filled with. It's the same spirit that raised him from the dead and it's such an awesome wonder to ponder that truth. When you accept Jesus into your life, you invite his spirit in. When you give your life to him, when you become a disciple of Jesus, you inherit that same spirit. And that same power means that you can do the very things that Jesus did. It's a possibility for you and I. That is the identity in Christ that Paul is reminding the church of and that we are being reminded of in this series. We want to live a life that's in response to that call of God. When we ask the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts, then everything flows out of that love. That part of the series took us up to chapter three and then Martin opened up in the second half of the series uh, at chapter four. Go over to our Central Vineyard YouTube channel to re-watch if you need to catch up on any of the talks so far. You know, and Martin left us with an overview uh, and even a memory line. So a bit of a test if anyone can remember what he said. He said this, To live a life worthy of the calling that has been received and to be united and mature. Martin looked at a life worthy of calling, the calling we have, to be united and mature as followers, to be responsible for checking in on ourselves against the way Jesus called us to live. And chapter four goes on to talk about some of the instructions for for Christian living. 
about living as Christ taught. And this spills over into the first half of chapter five, which is where we are diving into today. So we're in Ephesians 5, and we're going to look at the first 20 verses of that chapter. Ephesians 5, verses 1 to 20. Follow God's example. Therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But among you there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure or greedy person, such a person is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore do not be partners with them. For you were once darkness, but you but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists of all goodness, righteousness and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It's shameful to even mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible, and everything that is illuminated becomes light. This is why it is said... Wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Be careful, then, how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for reading that for us, Rachel. In short, Paul is instructing the Ephesians to be imitators of their Heavenly Father and is teaching them what their life should look like. It sounds clear. The instructions are pretty straightforward. But as we've previously mentioned, Ephesus was a modern time city. It was a powerhouse. And at the time Paul wrote this letter, most of the members of the church in Ephesus were people who had grown up in pagan families. They were worshipping idols. They had been brought up to see religion as a matter of getting what you wanted from the gods. Just bribe the gods by bringing a small sacrifice. And if you do a few religious duties, they, the gods, would make your families prosper. It didn't matter how you treated your fellow worshippers, your family, your neighbours. All you had to do were the duties of sacrifice. They'd been brought up in an atmosphere of terrible sexual immorality. The temples held prostitutes, male and female, who were there to service the worshippers. And with that immorality... It was entrenched thoroughly through the middle of their religion. The level of morality in society at large was very low. And so there was a constant battle in the church to hold their members' lives to account before God. It was so much easier for them to worship the gods who didn't care how you lived. You could probably understand the battle 
that the early church faced because actually it's not just ancient history. The church in every age has had to fight to maintain that standing to be sure that when people looked at the church, that they looked at us, that they see something different, something special in the way we live. A living demonstration of wholeness and the, and the wisdom and civility of right relationships with all that we meet. The world is always out there offering God's people an easy way, an easy, cheap, moral shortcut, a life where compromise is easy. And whenever Christians choose the easy way, our mission in a sense to be the light of the world is, is fully compromised. So Paul calls us to be imitators of God as dearly loved children to live a life of love. Do you ever read scripture and think to yourself, boy, it would be great if so-and-so would read this. Or you hear a sermon and think, oh, that person really needs to hear this message. Well, today, my friends, this message is for you and for me. It is us that needs to live a life of love. Yes, others do too, but we can't make them do it. We can only affect our own living. So how do we live this life of love? What does Paul say to us? Well, Paul goes on to give us some really practical ways to actually do that. He starts by setting Christ as our example, calling us to love, calling us to be sacrificial, to not be greedy, to be thankful, to be wholesome in our talk. You know, to be sacrificial, to love in a sacrificial way. You know, that's hard because love is, is not just an emotion or a feeling that we have. Love is the actions that we take. It's the sacrifices we make. Loving actions will always be sacrificial because it means doing things that aren't beneficial to you or to I. It's preferring one another just as Christ loved us and gave himself up. For us, as a sacrifice, we are called to live sacrificially with others. And that will look different towards different people. We might find it easier to be more sacrificial to those who are close to us than those we don't know. That's normal, but we should be asking ourselves as we go through this life, how can I love by sacrificing like Jesus did to anyone I meet? We often walk head down eyes closed maybe, and particularly in this season where it feels we have these enforced barriers. I wonder how that looks for us to choose sacrificial love. You know, and I, and I often find that if we choose sacrificial love, it leads in our hearts to just being more spontaneously generous. It becomes a character attribute that we have. You know, Paul tells us that being greedy is not how people love. We love people through being generous to them. And that ties in with being sacrificial. We give up something of ourselves or we want for ourselves for the sake of others. When we come across someone in need, do we give or do we turn our backs? Are we looking at what we have to keep it? Are we looking at what we have for ourselves and what we can't? give away? Or do we keep a perspective on whose stuff this is? Who we are stewards of? Our time, our resources, it's all the Lord's. 
And when he places opportunities in front of us, we have, a, we have an opportunity to be generous and even better to love others by being sacrificially generous. And then I often find that those traits of sacrificial, generous, loving people, they have another trait. And it's often their speech. Their speech is often thankful and kind and thoughtful. Have you ever met those people? They're the kind of person I want to be when I grow up. And it feels so hard to get there some days. I, I often wonder if they went to some special kindness school. But in reality, they've probably had years of pressing into Jesus and had much to overcome. The same as you or I. And you could question whether our speech matters. Surely it's just our acts. Well, Paul certainly said it does. It left me thinking, is it even possible to be sacrificial and loving and generous if our words don't match up? It's all intertwined in our daily acts of living. To truly be living a life of love, we need to be thankful for the Lord's blessing for ourselves and the Lord's blessing for others, whatever they may be. We want to be a loving people who are building one another up with our words. Sometimes it feels sacrificial just to say good things. It's hard, right, some days, you know. I just think, especially in the morning, if the milk's gone, and, and then, then I can't have my coffee. Take, it's a harder job to be kind with my words. You know, are you a walking complainer or someone who can be thankful for everything in every circumstance? Just as in 1 Thessalonians, where he says, give thanks in all circumstance. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. I might think I'm being thankful most of the time, but sometimes I'm like, oh yeah, thanks Lord. You know, there's no real thank you in that attitude. You know, and sometimes it feels I, I moan way too much. I think I've moaned most of my way through this COVID season with an ungrateful heart. I have to put so much energy into remembering <laughs> through gritted teeth on some days that that is the opposite direction I want to grow in. It's not the direction God is wanting me to grow in. Through our sacrifice, our loving sacrifice, our generous giving in deed and words, we get to live a life of love. We get to be an encouragement to others of God's love. And that's all very practical, what Paul is saying on how we can be loving. But he also goes on to tell us that if we're going to follow that through, if we're going to imitate the Father even further, then we need to be people who live in the light. In verse 8, it says, For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of the light. What does that mean? What would our life look like if we were living in the light? Well, to live in the light means to live according to Christ's direction in our life. He is the light and we are called to live in him. And if we're doing that, certain things will happen because of that light. That light produces fruit in our lives. Verse 9, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness and truth, similar to the fruits of the spirit that we read about. If we're living in the light, our lives will have a visible goodness. It will have a visible righteousness and it will be based 
on the truth of God's word. How do we know that we're living in the light and we see that, you know, if you believe you're living in the light, what visible fruit do you see? What would others say about you? Would they say you are good and you are honest and you are right in the eyes of the Lord? Is that the the truth you in which you live? Living in the light can't help but produce good fruit. Maybe you get into a bit of a cycle or a pattern of something, a sin maybe, and you're trying to do better at it, but you find yourself, you do okay for a while, but then you slip back and you slip back and then you're back in these old patterns of sin or behaviours and you're feeling disappointed in yourself and it just seems to be like an ongoing cycle that you can't break out of. Well, one of the questions I'd ask you is, who knows? Who have you spoken to about this pattern in your life? Who are you talking to about it? Who are you confessing your sins to? You know, if you've done none of those things, then you're still in the dark. The enemy has a foothold to tug you back in. There's so much light that comes in the revelation or confession of our sin. It's this confession and accountability that leads us to produce good fruit. It helps us bring the light into the darkness that we're holding inside. The light that shines in our lives reveals the Lord. In verse 10, it mentions when we find out what God wants and we live according to it, we are reflecting the Lord. So as we live according to what the Lord tells us and as we imitate him, we reveal him to others who need him. Have you ever heard that phrase? It goes like father, like son. Or there's another one. She's her mother's daughter. Weird. But they were terms of phrase used to suggest a person has such a familial likeness that there's just no way they aren't related. I guess that's what we're aiming for, that the world would see we are God's children and that our lives have that obvious familial likeness to our Father. We get to be powerful fruit bearing reflectors of our heavenly father. And the one thing that has spoken to me hugely in my journey over the past few years is that we, when we step into that confessional space and we expose our sins, our thought patterns, our destructive behaviours to the light, we can be completely transformed. Verses 11 to 14 say this, have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by their light becomes visible, for it is light that makes everything visible. That is why it says, wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. Now, I don't believe that we need to call out constantly everyone who is doing something that is wrong in the world. It takes me enough time to think about the things I might be doing wrong and to work on putting those things right. But 
But I do believe that as we live in the light, people will see for themselves some of the darkness that they tolerate in their own lives because our light floods out and exposes that. It exposes that. And on my journey, I've been learning that the things that we allow to remain in our lives in the dark lead us to those footholds of the enemy who is constantly trying to bring us down. The enemy wants to keep us sleeping, but our call is to wake up, to wake up and rise up. You know, a psychologist said to me, we each have a shadow self, a part of us that we keep hidden from the world. It's part of us that we don't want anyone to know. And it's that part that we hope people don't really know about unless maybe you live with someone and you see all those things. But actually it becomes this thing that we know they know and they know we know they know, but no one, no one ever mentions it. And often we use phrases for someone's bad behaviour like, oh, it's just them, you'll get to know them and you'll see, it'll be okay. And so we allow those parts of ourselves and those around us to live in the shadows. And actually all it does is create this everlasting foothold for the enemy to grab hold of. We live in the shadows that don't reflect God and who he is in our lives and the work he has done. And the light is butting up against that shadow all the time to reveal it. And it becomes this constant battle we face. Whereas if we were to take that moment and actually bring our shadow self to the light by talking, by sharing, by confessing, we are allowing ourselves to be challenged and hopefully challenged healthily by others. We get to expose those parts of us to a whole new freedom. We expose them and we have an opportunity for the grip of the enemy to be lessened. And as that becomes less, we continue to grow, growing closer to God. Living in the light is a huge part of our journeying to become like Jesus. The more in the light we become, the more it reflects into others' darkness until the hope is is that they no longer tolerate the darkness in which they have accepted to live. It's really quite powerful. It's almost like we get to become modern day Edisons or Volters, if you want to be technically true to the invention of the light bulb. We never knew how much we needed light bulbs until we had them. That light switching on was revolutionary in those times and actually we get to switch on these lights we get to turn up the light on those shadow parts and that can change us and that can change the world around us it's incredible it's powerful When Steve and I set out on our church planting journey 23 years ago, someone said to us, you know, your church isn't going to be the project. You are the project. You will be the one God is forming and changing. And and he is also the one that will take care of his church. 
And it's completely true. God never stops working on us. I believe it's God's invitation today and every day to invite us into a loving journey where we are called to live by some simple instructions to love one another sacrificially, to love one another in generosity and in good deed and in our time and with our resource and with our words that build up one another, we pour out kindness. But even more so, to reveal to others by stepping out of the darkness and its footholds and turning ourselves over to to the light to be these walking mini examples of kingdom love to a world who does not know the darkness it tolerates. It's not just practicing these words. It's, It's not just thinking about how we speak. It's a physical loving transformation taking place in us. And so in order to do that, we need to invite him to come. Let's do that this morning, right now. I'm just going to ask you to just take a moment, you know, and if you feel comfortable to just place your hands out to invite the Holy Spirit, the living God, to come right now. Father God, that you would come. We invite you to come. We say yes, Lord Jesus, to you coming. We need you, Lord, to transform us. Maybe for you this morning, you need to take some small steps to recognise where it is you need to grow. Maybe for some of you, you already know, and, and maybe it's overwhelming to think of all those things, all those areas that you want change in, and to think of all them at once. But actually, the Lord invites you to choose just one step just one thing, to meet with him today. Invite God to come into the space right now. Ask him to show you that one thing. Give him time to speak. He will show you his transformational love. Come Holy Spirit. Whilst you're in that moment, I'm just going to invite those that for some of you, you actually need to invite God in for the first time. Or maybe it's been a while since you've actually connected with God and you're wondering if you have a relationship with him still. Take a moment now. This is a moment for you to ask God to come into your life. The Bible tells us this, that when we turn and repent, and that is to say sorry, of our sins, and we turn to Jesus, we believe in him, that he is the Lord, and that he died for our sins and he rose again, you will be saved. The Holy Spirit will come and dwell in you. And that is what you need in order to take steps in this transformational journey. So just invite him to come. He loves you. He is a good and loving God. And whatever your experience or ideas of of him might be, you need to put that aside right now to know that he is a good and loving God. He is who he says he is. 
He wants to bring you into that transformation of space. And so I pray for you, church. I pray for us. As we continue on this journey in this season, we would know that God is in control, that he still wants to bring the transformation in our hearts. And we get to do that in the spaces that we're in. Come, Holy Spirit. Faithful Father, you never let us down. You journey with us. You hold our hand. You clothe us, Lord Jesus, in your identity. So, and I pray that we begin to live up to that. That we become children of the light. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us this morning. Really look forward to um, sharing with you again soon. Bye.